Ja, hvor godt. Hallo. Hallo. Hej. Hallo, James. Kan du høre mig? Ja. Loud and clear, James. Loud and clear. Okay. It is now 10. Good evening, people. This is the fifth episode of the podcast being recorded. Hours later than it should be. My voice has, thank God, returned. Ah, were well, you not well? Yeah, I lost my voice on Sunday. Ah, ah, ah. Shut up, Michael. Nope. The caring words of Michael there. Yeah, it's very caring. Thank you, James. Well, so we, we'll sign up Michael membership for the Conservative Party, no short Hey, I, I just renew my membership <laughs> for the Labour Party. I managed to figure it out. Well, then I'll find you a way of getting you expelled. Now, let's move on. Now, <laughs> no, you won't. No, I won't. Watch me buy the party now. You can't <laughs> buy the party. I know. <laughs> I mean, how, how's that going to go? Michael's running around the party saying, Trump won the election, guys. Get over it. They'll say, Michael, we are centre-left people. What? What does that mean, centre-left? No, 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 no. I'm a Republican. I believe in markets. No, the Labour Party believes in regulation. What? It's government overreach. And then swiftly, out. That's how it's going to go. Anyway, let's move on swiftly. That was a joke, obviously. That's not true. Yeah, it was. It was. I've spoken to you to lo- I've spoken to you long enough, Michael, to know when to take the piss and when not to take the piss. Now let's just turn to the agenda of the podcast. God, I do need to get my hair cut quite quickly. Now, the National Health Service is this week's podcast. Now we're going to break it down into three segments. We're going to discuss the history of the health service, how it was maintained, how it was built, where was the idea for it in case any of our American friends are choosing to listen to this podcast and they can hear how to have a proper healthcare system. And we are then going to discuss the actual structure of the health service. And then the final half an hour will be about the practicalities of the health service, the current failures in the health service, and what we can do to fix the National Health Service. So... I got mints in my mouth. Let's start... With the practicality, with the history of the health service. Now, as always, I'll start and then we can open up just well for a bit of discussion. So, until 1911, this is how the state of the healthcare was. It was pretty much like America, where if you did not have healthcare, you were basically sentenced to serious illness indefinitely. The rich often got the best healthcare, the poor really didn't, you know. There wasn't, there wasn't much private medical insurance. It was dependent on private philanthropy and private people. Then 1911, the Liberals passed the National Health Insurance Act, which created a system of universal insurance for all the people. Incidentally, Winston Churchill co-authored that bill, which is an interesting thing that everyone seems to get about Winston. Um, that provided medical insurance for all every single person in this country. Of course, that developed over time. You got to the 1944 Beverage Report, which created the need, which basically laid a framework for the National Health Service, um, which said how we, everyone must have universal and free at the point of use healthcare. Now, the Tories say that because they worked on the Beverage Report, that means they, they, they created the NHS. Well, no, because if we go through the 1945, 1946, 1947, and 48 House of Commons bills on the health service, you will know that they voted, they voted against the health service 22 times, and they've voted against it ever since. But now let's just turn 
so that so that was the history of the health service was that before 1911 it was very much an americanized system it was the free market there were no controls on doctor pricing there was no controls on insurance and the poor didn't even have access to insurance uh lloyd george reformed it and of course in the law after 1918 lloyd george guaranteed free health care to all veterans that was the principle that's where the free health care door was open that veterans could get free health care and then the Attlee government came and gave universal coverage so We'll discuss the principles, but I'll ask you, of those three stages, which was the most effective, do you think? Who's this Go on, James. I think, I, think, I think the most important stage was the beverage report, was, was Atlee and the beverage report. I think, I think it's, 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 all right, it's all right to say that, Ian, that, um, uh, that Lloyd George laid the foundations of the NHS, since you can't argue against they did lay down the foundation. The principles of the NHS, but I think I think if it wasn't for the beverage report and athlete, we wouldn't have an NHS as we know it today. I, I think I think I think I think it would be kind of like a, um, I think we kind of like a mixture between uh, privatized and uh, and uh, nationalized. So I think I don't I don't think it'd be fully nationalized like it is now. Today. and I think and I think if it wasn't for athlete and it wasn't for the beverage report that laid down the fact that said that people want this, this is what's needed after this war, after the war. Uh, we need a we need a free healthcare for all the all the veterans that have come home injured, ill, whatever. All the people who have been bombed and the houses have lost and they've come ill or whatever they've been hit by shrapnel and the bomb. All these people, all these people can't be forced to forced to pay for healthcare for something that they didn't want in the first place. None of them wanted a war, but the, but the war came along to them. And I think and I think the bed report noted that and thought and said, well, these people didn't want a war. These people didn't ask for a war, but yet they they shouldn't they should not be forced. To pay any money to for injuries that they sustained during it, and I think and I think it just continued on to say, well, we're not we're, we're not just go for wartime, and we go for all injuries, we'll go for all healthcare needs, will be supported by the government, which I, which I think if it wasn't for the beverage report, that wouldn't have happened. That's a very interesting analysis. It's an important report, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an interesting analysis, James. And I come to the exactly the opposite conclusion that I think that it was Lloyd George, because I, I think that. Look, was the beverage support significant? Oh, 100%. Without the beverage report, you would not have had nationalisation, you would not have had full employment, you would not have had the National Health Service, you would not have had the principle of the welfare state. But what did the Lloyd George government symbolise? The principle that every single person should have the access to health care. Now, I think that why was the NHS so viable is because once you had laid the principle for the access to health care, in that everyone can have it, then the means becomes one of free. Now, when the Lloyd George government said, you know, veterans can have free healthcare, that also opened the door to the NHS because that was then the principle of, you know, the old question, we can't have it for free. Lloyd George had broken that principle. So therefore it was easy for William Beveridge to write the report saying, you know, we must have free universal healthcare for all people because he can base that on, remember Beveridge was liberal. Beveridge was a liberal MP. He wasn't a Labour, he was a liberal MP. And, he could then say, well, if you look at the actions of the Campbell-Banahan government, of the Lloyd George government, they had introduced principles of universal health care in terms of insurance. Now it is the job of the next government to provide freedom to all people in terms of making it free at the point of use. Well, I, I, One could not happen without the other is what I'm trying to say. One could not happen without the, without the other. Yeah. I, 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 I would say to that that um, Lloyd George and the Liberals before we're like we're like this we're like the planters. They planted the seeds, and if it wasn't for acting in the beverage report, they wouldn't have the nutrients or the water or the thing to grow. You see what I mean? You know what I mean? I, I, agree with I, that. I, I think I think I think that's how I think that's I think that's how we should see it. I think 
the seeds were planted by Lord George and they, and the plant flourished because of the Bevan people. I think that's a perfectly sound analogy. I think that if you look, but then, you know, the National Health Service was a time when nobody could disagree with it. If you look at the, the commission, yeah. she set it up, you know, Winston set it up, Clement Attlee set it up, Brad Butler yeah. set it up, Nyron Bevan set it up. Now, obviously... Consensus politics, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was, I call it common sense politics, but consensus politics, <laughs> you know, it's like the other day, James, we talk about, you know, we're talking about American politics and we said, you know, he's in favour of universal insurance, he's in favour of healthcare, and you said, what, why are we praising that? Surely it's just common sense for health care. minimum, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's quite right. But that was a time when conservatives, Labour and liberals could all get together on the principle that everybody should have healthcare free at the point of view. Yeah. Obviously, that principle is now being undermined by current issues. But I think that that's the report. So if you look at beverage, if you look at the current system, and I think, you know, it's fair to say the pre-liberal system is now, is the American system. The liberal system is the Germans. And obviously we've got our system is the British. I think if we're going to be objective about it, really objective about it, and we're going to be independent and not be too British. And by the way, everyone in this podcast supports the NHS and... If you don't support the health service, go go and sit in a darkened room and look at the ceiling. Um, if every, if you're being objective, I think everyone does believe deep down the German system has got the most benefits to it. At the um, moment, at this moment, not in 2009, yeah. the NHS practically ran the healthcare, ran one of the best healthcare systems in the world. I'd agree with that. Yeah. But I'd say at this current moment, I'd argue the German system is the best because 95% of people do not pay healthcare costs at all. Mm. Right? The only yeah. people you pay healthcare for in Germany are prescriptions and eye and dental care. That sounds very That's the same as here, isn't it? Yes. The difference is, is that in Germany, what they say is that the government buys the insurance for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it is illegal to not uh, pay out the insurance or not to cover people. It's illegal to not. So they pay out insurance for everybody. The difference is, is that if you are a wealthy person, you must get private health care. And if you are a less wealthy person, the government will basically give you an NHS-style free-to-point-of-view system. Mm-hmm. So what happens in Germany? Do you know what they call waiting lists? What? A British eccentricity. <laughs> it's not known in Germany to be on a waiting list. In Germany, you go and see your doctor the day you want, the time you want, with the operation you want. It's convenient. And as I said, 95% German patients do not pay for most medical bills. The poorest certainly don't pay for most medical bills. Yeah. And they spend less than you. They're more efficient than us. Then if it's about private management, I want to just talk about this intellectually. Uh, when I talk about this, I do not talk about my personal opinions. I talk about this in the intellectual realm now. When people, because obviously I, I'm only here because the National Health Service kept me alive. Not, you know, if I was in America right now, I'm sure they'd say, what do you mean he needs an operation on his leg? No, let him, let him sit in the wheelchair. That's cheaper for an insurance company. But that's, that's, but that is how the American system works. It's yeah. one of private enterprise. Now, enterprise has many roles. But when an insurance company say we will not pay for that person's operation because it doesn't make yeah. us any money, that's why I say. I think, I think, I think, I think the the thing with the British healthcare system yeah. is that I think I think without a shadow of the doubt we have the best principle of any country maybe Absolutely. in the world. Yeah, you, you you could you could argue that the Scandinavian countries have the same principle, but you know what I mean. Our, our principle with them is is basically the same. We have the best principle of healthcare of a yeah. health system. Yeah, and I th- and I think the issue is is that it's been severely. Underfunded. 
I it, was, it was funny to the level that the NHS staff asked, that the NHS people who know how much it costs, the NHS they know how much to run everything costs, and they gave them that money. It would be without. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna put it out there. I say one, one of the best, if not the best, healthcare systems in the world, or maybe even the history of mankind. Because the the thing is, the thing is, doctors in this country compared to doctors in another country actually want to help people because they because you you, you can see junior doctors are getting paid pittance. They get yeah. paid little to nothing. Is what is what they're getting paid. I think is it twenty three grand? Or have I got that? Have I made something? Uh, it's about twenty five grand. But yeah, twenty five grand. Yeah. Twenty three grand is what they were paid on when they went on strike in twenty sixteen. Oh, okay, okay. So that's why I got twenty three grand. So they, they were getting paid twenty five grand for, for 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 a job that most people don't want to do. Most people don't wouldn't even want the stress of most, and most people just take it for granted. I mean, you go into hospital, you go into a GP right now. You take the GP and the doctor for, for granted. You don't you don't you don't you don't actually sit down and appreciate what they actually do. And I think I think the clapping for carers was a major was a major thing to show how much the NHS did for the public, how much the NHS did for the country. And I think and I think that the government is kind of ironic, but uh, Boris Johnson clapping uh, clap, uh, clapping for carers, even though he's voted time and time again for cuts in NHS expenditure. It's very ironic. But um, the, the, thing, the, thing, the thing is, is that if the NHS was funded properly, if yeah. we gave them money that the NHS needed, not what the government wanted to give them, if the NHS got given what it needed, it will be the best healthcare system in the world. Right, a shadow of a doubt. I don't, I, yeah, I, look, obviously investments apart, obviously when you put barely anything in it for the last 11 years, with the exception of COVID, where they basically gave it nothing throughout Cameron's years, barely anything under Theresa May, and only when it's an election year does Johnson start putting money into the National Health Service, then you'll get declining results and declining performances, and I agree with that, and I think, you know, the, the new Labour, I mean, I have that graph on my story, you've seen it, which is the escalating funding increases under new Labour and the declining funding increases under the Conservatives. Um, but I also think the, the issue is with the health service, it's not one of investment, though it's part of it, it's what we're using the investment for. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How is it we've accepted that half of the hospital, now it's actually, sorry, it's, it's three in five hospital beds can be owned by private companies. When was mm. that accepted yeah. as a good idea? When yeah. is it a good idea that private companies should be required to run hospital car parks or pay certain doctors' mm. salaries or own certain wards? That's dangerous. And I think it's not just one of, I think, yes, of course. Money. It's also not organised too all the time. Well, that's why I'm coming to the it's point. It's like a gamble. That's why I'm coming to the point that when you have, you know, one in four operating theatres being owned by private sector firms, when you have one in three, uh, nearly when I have three in five hospital beds being owned by private firms, these are basic things for the people's health. And of course, you know, you have incidents now where private hospital, private beds are now being only used for five hours a day because the private company says you can't use them for more than five hours a day because you don't make a profit on them. There are incidents in like, if you go down to the States, in Mississippi, for example, where if a woman gives birth, she has to be kicked out of the bed within one in two hours. They're referred to down there as drive-by deliveries. And I think I look to the States because I think that's a, we're on that system now where, you know, we've got these now these integrated care systems that are coming up, which is basically... 13 regional boards with, with business executives deciding how much each hospital should get. I mean, that is a policy so idiotic beyond comprehension. You're going to have regional hospital boards, which is a good idea, run by business owners saying what hospitals should receive. I mean, don't you agree with you, James, that 
whilst there is a massive role for private enterprise in industry, that healthcare isn't one of them because naturally you're inclined to make profit on yeah. suffering exactly. very well. Yeah, exactly. I think I think I think I think there should be I think there should be three things that shouldn't be privatized. And I think I think that is I think that's emergency services such as the police and uh, a fire brigade. Yeah. Healthcare and education. Those three should never ever be even thought about being well, education maybe. But well, what, well no, no, but the, the, the thing is there's private education and parents and parents I'm I'm gonna say my, my parents send me to private school as well. But yeah. the, the thing the private education is there because parents who are rich enough can see that it's miles better the private education compared to a state education. Obviously, there's brilliant state schools. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say there isn't brilliant state schools. But 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 it's it's most of the time there's better private schools. Private schools are better than state schools. And parents go, well, do you know what? We'll pay. We'll, we'll pay the nine grand. We'll pay the whatever five grand a year to to, to send my child to this school. And 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 instead and instead of say thinking think and that, and the government's taking advantage of that. They don't think it's well. If there's rich enough parents who just don't care about the education, just give them the child to the best form of education, no matter how much it costs. We don't need to fund the education service. But and 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 and, and, with, and, education, and with education, I know we're talking about the health services. We yeah. because you mentioned it's an interesting point. I think education is you want to talk about uh, competition with education. I think the solution is twofold. First, you've got to have private school vouchers. I believe in that passionately that every parent mm. should have five thousand pounds to take their child to a private school should they want to do so. Secondly, you've got to have grant per funding. You've got to keep the per people funding in the state schools. I think you've got to fund the state schools. So the point right now is £5,000 per pupil. I'd ideally like to see good £7,000 per pupil. I don't yeah. think what's, what's going to allow choice in the schools, you can't neglect the state schools as a means of like, well, oh, the private school doesn't matter. No, you've got to fund the state school. And I think it'll allow choice. Yeah. I think, I think example, okay. In Bolton, you're not familiar with Bolton's education system, James. There are, I think there are 13 state schools in Bolton. I could be wrong, okay? And yet under Bolton Council, you're only allowed to go to the school that's most localist to you. Mm. I, that school may be dreadful. Yeah. I think if you want to allow choice, you should allow should be able to go to whichever state school they want in Bolton. So Bolton yeah. residents should have to go to whichever state school they wish to in the town. That's how you create choice. But I think... You know, some would argue back to health that maybe you should allow people to go to whichever hospital they want to in that region. Well, well then, I think I, 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 think, it's it's I think I think it's a bit different between hospitals and uh, mm. education. I mean, there's I mean, Bolton there's only one big hospital, and I think is the closest one. I might be wrong, but is the closest one like Salford? Is yeah, the closest one after that is it Salford or something like that? It's Walpole Hospital, then it's Walpole Salford Hospital. Okay, the closest one is easily miles away from us. Is miles away from Bolton. And, and I think, and I don't think people should. I think people should have the right to choose their uh, their GP. And, and I think, yeah, and everybody, and everybody does have the right to choose the GP in this country. But I, I also, I also think that. Uh, well, I don't clean it right here. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think anybody should have the right to choose the hospital because all hospitals should be the same. All hospitals should be equally as funded, equally equally as adequate. Equally as excellent as each other. funded though, can they? Well, yeah, yeah I, 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 I know what you mean. Like per, yeah, per hospital, which one the worst in the country? I mean, I mean, funding. Yeah, I mean, like, so, like, you say, you say, there's Bolton, there's Bolton Hospital that covers, I don't know, I don't know how many people in Bolton, like three hundred thousand something like that, yeah. around about that much in Bolton. Yeah. However, many people in Bolton, and then you say, you say, well, each, this hospital gets, I don't know, ten thousand pounds per person who lives in Bolton. 
or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then, um, and then, and then, man, and then, man, uh, great, uh, great man, Salt, Salford might have, Salford might have uh, five hundred thousand people who who are closest to it in the, in uh, Salford's area. So they go, well, that gets that still gets ten grand, per, but it just gets more money for for, for the same thing. You see what I mean? And then you go and you go to like the London hospitals that have got like millions of people in per per hospital or whatever. And you say, well, they get they get their ten grand, and you might get a bit more and because stuff costs more. And you know, you might you might get a bit more if you've got more people in your particular area. And so, but I think I think all hospitals. I think I don't think that you should you should you should walk into I don't know Bolton Hospital and then and then you get and you go on holiday I don't know up to like Scotland or whatever and you walk into a Scottish hospital. You walk you go down south and you walk into a like I don't know, a, a, a hospital in Cornwall or whatever, yeah. And I think these are miles better than the one in Bolton. They should all be similar, if not the same as each other, and equally the best they can actually be. Rather than rather than oh, well, Bolton gets left behind because there's not many people to go to hospital in Bolton, or you know, uh, this gets left behind because there's not many things. I think all hospitals should be funded, not funded the same because obviously that's just stupid, but you. Uh, you um, they, they, should, they, should, they should all be. They should all be adequate and the best of the ability they can possibly be for for the funding that they have. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I also think that with the way the health service is going at the moment, in terms of funding for the inner city hospitals, I think it's fair to consider the future of the health service is one based on looking at the current reforms and seeing what we can do to increase funding for health service hospitals. All right, here's what we're going to do. In order to officially understand the history of the health service, there's been a lot of reforms in the health service over the last 50 years. We're going to go through them and discuss them. Let's have a look at some of them then. Give us the first one. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go even better. Where is it? There it is. Share your screen. There we Let's go. Very nice. Very nice indeed. It's on the Royal College of Nursing website. So... Of course, this is where we start with our friend, Sir William Beveridge, when he establishes the principle that creates the foundation of the welfare state. I mean, actually, I'll come to you, Michael, I'll ask this. Is there a, I know we discussed the welfare state in our very first episode, and it was a very passionate discussion. It was more about economics rather than natural security. But do you think the Beveridge report was right in its today's terms? Can we still have the principle of, you know, carrying people from the cradle to the grave? That all people should be cared for no matter what? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely morally. Um, I mean, what? Uh, but what specifically are you asking with that question? I mean, I, I don't know what to explain on, on that. Can you give me something to kind of like, right, you know, explain on? Oh, right, I can. I'll do it in two perspectives. Do you want to look at this from finance or from health? Which one do you want to look at? Um, good question. Uh, I can give let's you have a look at finance. Okay. Do you believe that there should be some form of a guaranteed minimum floor of income that nobody should earn lower than? So some people look like a negative income tax. Some people looked at universal basic income. But there should be a guaranteed level of earnings for every single person in this country. Not a fixed... There wouldn't be like a limit on what you can earn, but there'd be a limit on what you can at least have. Uh, not really. I don't think you should. Um, the thing is, universal basic income, it's, it, I mean, it really depends what the amount is. I mean, what what, what would you say the amount would well, be? No, I'm, not about, I'm not talking about universal basic income. I'm talking about the principle 
So something like the minimum wage, for instance, or a negative okay. tax. Not saying that everyone must have this amount of money, but the principle that nobody should earn or receive less than this. Uh, what if they're employed or on benefits? Oh, let's say, okay, let's say. A oh, okay. No, hold on. I think I see what you mean. So yeah. let's say there, there's like, okay, no one can earn below a hundred pound a week, yeah. and you got two options. You got a person who's employed, and they, uh, for example, they earn about one hundred forty pound a week, and you got someone on benefits who earns about one hundred thirty pound a week. So the well, so basically, the benefits can't pay below that, and neither can the job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, I mean, we already have a system like that in place. I think anyway. Um. Butchered a bit. It's being butchered. A bit. Well, it's it's been you know, all over the place. Not on it by its own. It's because of governments and all that. You know, differences and changes. When the Tories have cut the benefit now to fifty-four pounds a week, that's that shows it's being butchered severely. I mean, yeah. I mean, that. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, yeah. No. I. I think there should be a let's call it a safety net. Mm, a safety that, that that's a great way to put it. Like, who wants to be a millionaire? There's a safety net. You can't you can't lose that. You know, we're not going to base our economy on. on yes, we're going to pay everyone a million pounds a week. Let's go hyperinflation. A safety net though. That's the I audience. Think, I think the solution to the safety net is to have some form of a negative income tax. That's what I personally favour. But I, I mean, think, you can do that if you want, but I think we should definitely set a bar for uh, it, it, like employers and welfare <laughs> to like you know pay. Oh, I agree. I believe in the. I believe the minimum wage should be raised to thirteen pounds an hour. I believe in collective bargaining to guarantee, guarantee weekly payments. I believe in indexing all wages to the rate of inflation, if not above that. Of course, I believe in that. But to do that, you have to cut business taxes so businesses have the money to pay workers more. You have to understand when you're doing things like welfare policy, you have to balance the concerns of worker and of industry, one at the same time. You can't. You can't be pro worker or pro business. You have to be pro both. Because it's both yeah. without the without the worker, you will not have the profits. Without the businesses, you will not have the new machinery. You won't have the worker. Precisely. Precisely. Right, let's just turn back to the health service. I think I think I think I think, I think linking that back into the health service, I think linking it back into the health service is, is saying is saying everybody should be be eligible to have a free healthcare without 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 worries of ever going into debt. Since since the second they're born, since since, since they come out, I mean even beforehand, I mean even, I mean even you get protection from the mother when your mum when your mother's pregnant with you or whatever. I think you should have complete protection all the time by 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 the government and by by the NHS. I don't think I don't think anybody should I don't think anybody should ever be worried about not being able to buy to be uh, not being able to buy um uh, I don't know the prescription charges because we've because we've got those covered as well. We got a uh, we got a uh, uh, benefit, uh, people, so people, so people have to pay the prescription. I don't, I don't think, I don't think we should have to worry about going into surgery. I think, oh god, I, this will be a life changing amount of money. Am I, mean, I going to be able to afford it? I don't, okay. I don't think that should ever be. Most therapy providers in our private, most social care providers in our private. Well, the reason, the, the, re the reason they're all private is because they're being underfunded, and people, and people think, well. But you know what? I'll splash a cash and pay a hundred pounds for a therapist per, per session once a week, rather than being a waiting list for twenty for ten months, twenty months, and then say by that point I might be waiting late for me. You see, if you see what I mean. 
I do see what you mean. And then, I mean, it's the one thing, actually, I'll praise the jocks here, where the Scottish have got it absolutely spot on. In Scotland, you cannot wait more than two months to see a therapist. It's now against the law. They put a maximum on the waiting time. In Wales, it's four weeks. What do you see in the last Labour government? The principal get in- instant treatment. The principal very good treatment. Anyway, so we've got the Wilnick paper, which, pres- which by actually the Tory Minister of Health, who published the National, uh, National Health Service Plan. But it's very important to know that was done with the Labour Deputy Minister of Health, Aniron Bevan. So, you know, get off your high horse. We did it as well. Then, of course, Attlee becomes Prime Minister. And then, of course, Nairon Bevan, the great Nairon Bevan, is made a minister. And there's his statue. He gets a statue because he is the founder of the Health Service. Then you have the National Health Service Act. Now, what things about the Health Service Act was it enshrined everything James just said. It says it actually in Clause 6 that every single person is entitled to medical care for free from the day of birth to the day of death. And it actually yeah, it says in Cloud 6 that every single person is entitled to medical care from the day of birth to the day of death. And I think that's the healthcare principle we all need to live by, that any of us could fall sick and private providers are useless on health coverage. And, you know, I, I can't think of any other country apart from Germany that are more formidable than us right now in health delivery, in health services, in the health service itself. Obviously, yeah. the service is created. Then we get the Nurses Act of 1949, which ensures that we provide nurses. We have there's a modern framework for nursing in the health service. It actually, incidentally, we begin to levy out elect. We begin to end the practice of electrocution in 1949. Interesting enough. What electric chair or something else? Uh, no, electric therapy. Electric shock. Oh, shocks. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. American end that until the 1990s, but Britain ended it oh, in mind that you couldn't electric people, electric people with depression. It was deemed to be un- Yeah, that's yeah. that's how that's how you um not cure depression. Yeah. If I there's think... really a cure at all, I that's think... definitely not it. I think I, th- I think I think what needs to happen right now is the government needs to say uh, we need to vet. Right now, it means that NHS-funded therapists, NHS-funded counsellors, and everything. I think, I think, I don't think that anybody should ever need to be on a waiting list more than a week to see yeah. a therapist or, or a counsellor because this is so important. Mental health, uh, suicide is the biggest killer of men aged tw- is it twenty to forty-five? Or something that's the biggest killer suicide. It's it's not it's not something to mess around with depression. It's not it's 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 a silent disease. It kills more than cancer. It kills more than everything. But people don't see it as a disease because you can't you can't. You can't diagnose. You can diagnose people with depression. That's that's. that's it's not proven. seen in the same way. It's, it's not seen in the same way. It's not seen in the same light. Exactly, Dad. And I think, and I think, what needs to happen, it needs to be seen in the same light. It needs to be treated as a as a dangerous disease. Imagine, imagine the government. Imagine the government right now just said, "Oh, do you know what? We're going to stop all uh, all uh, funding for cancer patients." Imagine they said that. Well, that would be David booted out quite exactly. Sick. They wouldn't be. Booted, they wouldn't, wouldn't have a chance to even say, "I call an election before they've been kicked out of office." It's really, what what and and the thing and the thing is, I mean, depression really needs to be seen the same way, if not as worse as cancer, because it kills more people. Uh, suicides, lung cancer. There's obviously, cancer is a serious disease. I'm not. I'm not trying to underplay the serious. Underplay the serious of it. But I think I think I think the government needs to see is that there's, there's people paying hundreds of pounds a month to see to see a private therapist because they know it's not. It's not. Um, it's they're, ne- they're never going to be seen if they go with the NHS. Or, or, or they're never going to be seen with the same person. I, I, I remember those. Um, You're I, still I, streaming I, your screen, by the way, down. Somebody, 
somebody I know, um, so somebody I know outside of school, uh, so uh, went 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 to see an NHS uh, counselor, and uh, and they took there and said, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see you in a week's time. And it was a different counselor, and then they said, we'll see you in a week's yes. time. It was a different counselor. That that's the You need to build up your trust with your counselor and your therapist. To, to let them, it's a different person every time. There's no point. It's just like resetting the clock, isn't it? And, and, and I think and I, th- I think what needs to happen is that the government needs to say, well, well, we need to invest more in uh, counselors and therapists. We need we need to increase we need to increase the the wages that we give to them. Make sure or the salary we give them make to make sure that they want to enter the job. There's more people coming into this into this workplace into this job, and we and we need and we need to make sure that they actually care. And we, I mean, and we need to make sure that. It, we actually fund them so they can actually do their job properly rather than moving to a private sector where they can actually get paid a decent wage and and so and so people don't have to worry about paying hundreds of pounds yeah. to, to have again what i call the bare minimum mental health or mental health, like uh, in america, health. they pay doctors too like this feels like they got someone was like well in america they pay doctors two hundred thousand dollars a year in britain they pay them only 40 grand a year and what's the difference the difference is in America, three quarters of the doctor's wages is supplemented by patients' payments. Yeah. That's how they pay so much is because patients have to pay them to see them. And I think when we get to that sort of moral place, then we're doing too much charges in the health service. Look at 1949. You know, the Labour government at times increased defence spending, brought in prescription charges for eye and dental care done by the great Hugh Gateskill. Not one of his greatest ideas by any means of the word, you know. Move on to 1950. You have the like the gentle practice report. You have the principal. You owe five a shilling or five pence to receive eye treatment. It's now nine pound eighty for a prescription. There's a time when it used to be twenty five pence. That time was 1989, yeah. and then it went out yeah. of control because the Conservatives raised it eight times in a. You see, they, they, they see, they see, they see this prescription charges another form of tax. Mm. If you watch the Spirit of 45, it's Ken Loach's film. He's a great director, Ken Loach. Bit of a bigot now, but he's a great director at the time. And there's this guy, he's a gentleman, old age, 76. And he said, when he got, when the health service was created, for the first time ever, he could see clearly because he was allowed to, he could buy glasses. He said, until then, he had to see through the bottom of a milk bottle to mm. read what he was reading. So if he ever got glasses, he could see what he was reading. It was absolutely yeah. transformational. You know, then of course you got the, the report on the nurses. I mean, there's a time, of course, where there's only one nurse in every. There's only about two nurses in every ward. Then of course, yeah. changed for the again another uh, another another part of the NHS that's been severely underfunded and people are leaving the sector nurses. because they're not getting enough. I mean, n- nurses aren't appreciated. Um, uh, what one what, one of my friends is a doctor, and you, and you know, like the doctor and nurses have a kind of a little rivalry between them. But 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 exactly like, like, without 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 a nurse. Uh, without, without the, nurse, the team of nurses around me, I wouldn't know what to do. That would be screwed. It's the doc. They, they rely on each other. The, the doctors coming with like the with like the important information. I'm not saying I'm not saying the nurses don't have important information, but you know they, they come, come up with the diagnosis, the information, all of this stuff, and then the nurses know exactly how to carry it out, know exactly how to carry down the patient. So because the nurses are around the patient more than the doctors, the doctor has to scurry between patient to patient to patient to patient to patient. And then, and the nurse, and the nurse, like if there's a nurse in one ward, gets gets to meet every patient, gets to know every patient, and yet again, they're being underfunded. They're, they're not, they're not being, they're not being, they're not being recognised. The amount of important work that they do inside a hospital. P, I mean, there's still, there's still a stereotype now that a nurse doesn't do anything, which, which is ridiculous. They do, they do absolute. Lo- they do so much in hospital. Without them, the hospital wouldn't even run. 
it'll be it'll be dysfunctional. And I think I think they they need another pay increase to 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 do. They need they need more um and more and more support, which they, which they're just not getting. I think the nurses as well as doctors. I think everyone who works in health service is a fundamentally yeah. important person. You know, nurses without them you wouldn't have the patient relationship that's so vital for an operation. Doctors without them you wouldn't have an understanding of all the patients in the hospitals. Without the general practitioner, you wouldn't understand any of the local patient through local community needs. Without the cleaner, hospital wouldn't be clean. Without the administrator, you wouldn't have records to know what the patient actually is suffering from. Every thing has a role in the health service. Now I've got the Bradbeer Committee. Now the Bradbeer Committee is my favourite committee. It's the only committee that has ever led to an increase in administration staff. They recommended there should be a quarter of a million administration staff in the health service. Every other committee said we should cut the administrative numbers in the health service, yet they've always gone up and up. So now the NHS is Britain's biggest employer. And that's right, because yeah. it's Britain's best service. Uh, then you, of course, got the review, which allowed GPs to do fact formation. Independent GP practices, what did that allow? For the first time ever, GPs could buy equipment off each other. GPs didn't have to go to private providers anymore. GPs could buy equipment from the hospitals or buy from their local people. And that was so established local community links and it allowed GPs to do things like stethoscopes again. But it was effective because GPs could Another buy important part of the NHS that's getting underfunded again, the GP practices. I mean, we we we, we can sit we can sit here until until the sun until the sun bursts into uh, burst up into a supernova and just talk about how little the NHS is getting. Because we they need they need more money and they're just not getting it i mean um i think and you need you need to understand is how much like you said the nhs is the biggest employer in the uk yes it's it's a huge employer how many how many does it do you know how many employees over, over a million people they employ oh imagine imagine if a company came 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 right now in, into the uk and said and said we're, uh, we're going to employ a million workers that company would be having all the tax relief and everything. It wouldn't even have to be anywhere. It wouldn't. It wouldn't even. Wouldn't even have any regulations. It would just be there, and it'd be one million people. Right. So what, James, what? It's not one million people. It's one point three million people. One point three million people. So even three hundred thousand more than we actually thought. So am I? Am I? But still am I not enough, by the way. <laughs> no, it's it's what one is still it's still not enough. I'm not saying. But imagine if a business came in with one point and said to them, "Yeah, here's one point three million people we can employ immediately." And it would be very the government would open it would to keep it happy, wouldn't it? It wouldn't. Imagine and and the and the thing is is that the government is just taking the NHS for granted. It's just saying it's there, people will use it if they need it. And apart from that, no, there's no point funding if it's being used. If, if not if no one's using it. I, I'm not using the NHS right now, what's the point? It's it's and I can and I can see and I can see what it was obviously the conservative front bench is like Rishi Sunak, Boris Johnson, who are rich enough to afford private healthcare. Probably they wouldn't go to the NHS in their life, probably. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and they and they would just use and they would just use private healthcare because it's well, not. I mean, because money's no objective, so, so they think, oh, it's easier. You know, we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for. We don't have to wait six weeks to get an operation or whatever, like like most normal people do in the country. We can do whatever we want, and I think and I think and I think if they experience what it was like. To uh, to uh, be in a to to work in the NHS sector to to uh, be going to the NHS sector trying to get an operation 
you wouldn't accept it. They would, they would be the first people complaining about it. It's like that episode on Yes Minister. No, actually, better than that. I want my the good listeners to hear this episode, this uh, clip from the episode as well, actually. I think, James, you, you might have heard of this episode. I mean, when it skips to the, it's when they go into that hospital before that, the minister talks about the bus service and, yeah. you know, politician. One second. Uh, where is it? Yes, minister. Oh, I'm not, I'm assigned in. Bro, for God's sake. <coughs> Here. I'm not in the USA, I'm in the UK, for goodness sake. There you go. There's a clip from season two, episode one, and it literally just sums up exactly what you just said. And it's just much interesting, season two, episode one. There it is. Okay. By the way, if you're in the health service, it's one of the funniest episodes because it talks about an empty hospital that's not been used for 18 months. It's brilliant. Are we just watching a clip of this, yes? Yep. Yeah, that that would be the Gorgon explains it all brilliantly. Why politicians are feeling it. Stay safe. Ministry. Oh God's sake, I need to refresh the screen. Bloody hell. Sorry, good listeners. But as you put up with us for 40 minutes, I'm sure you could put up with us for a bit longer. <laughs> Yes. All the morning on the health service. Why is it not working? If it doesn't don't, work, don't, don't worry about it. No, I do worry about it because it's a very fundamental clip. Because what it explains is if politicians had to go and use the public services, they would make them better very, very quickly. Yes, exactly. You, we don't have to see the screen now. <laughs> I mean, if you and Sir Humphrey went to work on a number 27... I'm quite impracticable. We work quite long enough hours a day as it is without having to wait an extra hour at bus stops. <laughs> You'd have to make the bus service much more efficient, wouldn't you, sir? You certainly would. Yes, that's what he was saying. <laughs> as you say with the health service, do you remember a booper, sir? Oh, God, booper. I mean, that's the point, is that yeah. politicians... Because they do not have experience the local health service, because they don't have experience the local schools, they don't understand it. You know, it's well known that politicians go into private hospitals, and I understand private hospitals. They don't claim you understand the national health service very well, mm. or your care from private care. And it's like you know, in the United States Congress, for example, if a member of Congress falls ill, he gets his prescription for free, and the capital physician sees him immediately. If a poor person falls ill, they're left to rot. That's the sad reality. Yeah. Now let's yeah. move on. Because I want to go through all the reforms and discuss them. And then we will discuss. It's not acceptable, of course. Well, then we got the Guild Board Committee, which basically did a great report in showing how the health service doesn't waste money. Uh, by that time, they were only spending 
just done 2.9% of our entire GDP on the health service compared to 9.4 today. What, 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 what is it now, Dad? Do you, do you know what it is now, the GDP? I think it's, sure. it's 8.9. So it's not, it's not even a double digit? No. Uh, Germany spends 10.2, Sweden, France spends 11.2, and Sweden spends 13.1. Then you got the Wilnick report again. Harry Wilnick, come back in. We about the future member of medical practitioners, the appropriate intake of medical students. This actually is a very interesting one because this recommends the principle of government grants for medical students. The government should find a way of subsidizing practical courses for medical students to come into the medical profession. Very yes, good. very good. Yeah. Uh, the and, and, and and I mean, and I think and I think now what needs to happen is that there needs to be subsidies, or you know what I mean. For, for, for other people wanting to study medicine. Tuition, all, bring back the nurses' bursary. Bring back yeah, exactly. Nurses' bursary, doctors' bursary, all, all the bursaries for every single medical profession. Get people into the job. <laughs> I mean, would you, would you go through five years of schooling, pay nine grand a year, and then, and then get paid 23 grand for three years? I mean, you're never going to get out of that, are you? You're going to be if if you if you if you were to be a doctor, you've kind of submitted yourself to being in debt for most of your life. And I think, and I think, I think it needs to change. I think there needs to be bursaries for all the nurses, for all the doctors, for every, for for all medical uh, professions to make sure that people go into that industry and aren't worried about the cash aspect because they because because then they because then they're fine. They're, they're not, they they know exactly. They, they know exactly, well, fine, I, I, don't, I don't have to budget my salary, I don't have to do any of this, I can, I can now, um, I can, I can now actually properly, I can actually properly live my life while, while doing the job I care about. It's very important. I mean, if you look at July 1961, for example, it's about the nurses and doctors, the Human Tissue Act was passed that basically allowed people to commit medical research on dead bodies for medical purposes without, on, with family consent. I think that's interesting. But I was thinking, you talk about the localization of the health service. Look at 1962, when the district hostels were passed. That was the framework for the local hospital, that we should have local hostels take up tailor to the local needs. I think that's very, very important. I think that's the, that's the symbol of the health service. The principle that it's the individual who should be cared for along with his family. That you, know, you shouldn't burden people with a bill just because they become sick. Then if yeah. You, if you look at Wilson, and I'm going to try and go through this rather swifter. By the way, now in the Labour government, they boost the spending to 3.3 percent of the GDP, uh, rather than 2.9. The Families Doctor Charter as prisons make good. So I mean, this is an interesting one as well because this combats waiting lists. This came with the need of male doctors for male patients, female doctors for female patients, and no more than a two-day wait to see someone. I mean, this was a very this was a very productive government. The late, I mean, I mean, if 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 you if you think that something's wrong with you, like I don't know, it's, it's, something's wrong with you, you're not going to. You, you should not be forced to wait for tw for two, three days, or five days, thinking, oh, you know, you know, you know, my heart, my, my heart's been feeling off for the past yeah. six weeks. I can only come and see a GP now, and then you, you should you should be you should be like, oh no, my heart's feeling bad. You phone you phone the GP or you phone. You phone the hospital or whatever, you, or you phone one one one. Is it one one one? It is one one one, isn't it? Yeah. You say, I'm going to say, yeah, don't worry, we 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 can book you in your local GP in uh, for tomorrow or whatever. Because because then, I mean, obviously, it may be even a day's too late. But I mean, if it's that serious, you probably take. Is that, when, is that when Jeremy Hunt was saying, like when Jeremy Hunt was saying, we need a seven day NHS. And I'd like to ask this, Mister Hunt, which person has ever walked into an A and E? 
saying, help, I'm having a heart attack. And there's some caretakers saying, uh, can you come back Monday? They've all gotten paintballing. When has that ever <laughs> happened in the National Health Service? Exactly. I think... I think I think I think I think A and E needs to be split up. I think I, I, I think I think there's accidents and there's emergency. And I think and I think I think put I think put, put putting drunks who've broken their wrist because uh, on the street and people are coming in with serious like with a stroke or a heart attack shouldn't be shouldn't be coming through like the same door. The health service. I think you need to have walking yeah. centres. Walking centres, yes, exactly. Injuries. Every constituency yeah. has a walking. Centers. I mean, not just for drunken injuries, but. Yeah. <laughs> For mild injuries, for broken yeah. legs, for sprained wrists, etc. Yeah. You need to see a GP for treatment. They decide if you need to go to hospital for a prescription. The hospital will see, admit you and then see you within 10 weeks for an operation maximum. And A&E will only deal with life-threatening or severe needs. I, 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 would, go, I would go further than that. I, I, I would say these walking centres need to be build up build like buildings in every not every constituency but like in every area you know like in, in, a, in an area of um of a walking center where people can just walk in and say i think i think i think i've got something wrong with my elbow or, you know like a broken my elbow i think i think i've dislocated my shoulder and then they go and there's a doctor or a nurse there and goes okay here we go yeah yeah you broke your elbow here's a cat or whatever I mean, they've been they've been run down a bit, but in the, before 2010, yet when we created the walking centres, well, we's in New Labour, when we created them, it was on the principle that when someone went into the walking centre, they would be seen immediately, treated promptly, and out within yeah. 40 minutes. Yeah. Yes, uh, but now uh, what uh, are the waiting times? Well, I went to a walking centre back in June, and I was there for four and a half hours. Yeah, that sounds uh, like fun, over, doesn't it? Oh, in, in lockdown, obviously, it's in, 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 in lockdown, it's a bit different because obviously you had COVID, don't know all that to worry about. But, uh, Didn't you break your arm? I, bro- I, 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 I broke my elbow and dislocated my shoulder at the same time, which is quite impressive. <laughs> but, uh, but no, no I, I broke one elbow, lifted it up saying, ow, and fell onto my other shoulder and dislocated that. But, um, but uh, so but, uh, so I, I, went, so I went into I went to A&E. My mum drove me to A&E. Uh, and we were there. And we were, and we, and we, were, and we were there about, we sat there for two hours. Yeah, obviously quite painful. I've just broken my elbow, and 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 the, and the doctor said, "Yeah, yeah, don't, don't worry. C- c- come through here. We'll give you an X. We go to the radiology area. So we went to the X into the radiology area, and um, so and we waited there for another half an hour. They, they did they did the X ray, and they came back, and they came back and said, "Yeah, just, just take a seat in the waiting room." And then we waited for another half an hour. So by this point, we've been sitting in here for three hours. Yeah, and then and then and then, and then the doctor and the doctor said, "Yeah, yeah." I'll be I'll be here to see you in a second. He came in and said, "We'll be here to see you in a second. Twenty minutes later, he came he came along and said, "Yep, yeah, you can come into the office right now." And then and then and then he said and then he said, "Yeah, we talked about it for ten minutes." So this is an hour and a half now we've been in the hospital to to get diagnosed with a broken elbow. And then and then and then we came out and said, "Yep, yeah, I'm going I'm going to I'm going to get all the things that you need for the elbow, like the sling, the cast, and everything like that." And and it came back and he said. Uh, and he said, and I was another half an hour. So back, so and then he put it on, took tri- another back ten minutes. So we're in, so we're in the hospital for about a good four hours, ten minutes, just for a broken elbow and a dislocated shoulder. And I, think, well, I, I wonder think, how that happened. Oh wait, underfunding. Well, exactly. It, it, it there's underfunding. I mean, it should. I mean, we got we got such a civil. We got you got such a civil injury as a broken elbow. You should you should you should be out by the time uh, you, you should be out in about ten minutes. Well, not, I mean ten minutes. That's kind of pushing it. <laughs> you know, like yeah, under nice. an hour, easily under an hour. Nice, definitely. Look at other health service reforms. Look at the fact that the first time ever regional health authorities developed. That was the best thing they ever did. Regional health authorities. Why? Mm-hmm. It meant hospitals in Manchester could write a report on the hospital state of Manchester 
and Whitehall would have to fund them according to the way the hospital wanted to. Yeah. For the first time, you had localization in the health service, and that is so vital. Then, of yeah. course, oh, yeah, this is the funny one. The Halsbury Committee under the Labour Party when Howard Wilson came back in for a third term. No, James, that figure is not deceiving you. That is correct. Nurses, 40%. Nurses and midwives were, giving a, were given a pay increase of 40%. For- if they did that now, if they did that now, there'd be no such thing as a nurses' union. <laughs> they'll, just, they'll just stop. Don't stop, don't stop don't complaining. Say, we're done. We're done. We've got it. We've got all we wanted. 40%. Of course, spending rose again to 4.5% of GDP. Yeah. It's very good. Still and quite low, but... Still low, yeah. Still the lowest. I mean, it was lower than this. It didn't rise fundamentally until the 2000s. I mean, it fell under bloody Mrs. Thatcher. He wanted to privatise it. We tried four times to privatise the health service. I think, I think, I think, I think, I think we've been, I think we've an issue with like NHS being privatised. Imagine, Imagine, imagine coming over with a heart attack and you just have pains in your chest. You're lying, you're lying down in the stretcher, and the paramedics are wheeling you in. You look, and you look up and you say, "This hospital brought to you by Costa Coffee." <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Obviously, it won't be Costa Coffee to me. Worse than that, because imagine you are in the exact situation you said, James, on the, in pain with your chest in pain, all etc., and you're in agony, and the doctors caught your insurance company. Insurance company goes, "No, we won't treat him. We can't make a profit out of him." So you just leave the know, right. dead. They're so horrifying. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be a thing. There shouldn't. There shouldn't. There shouldn't. There shouldn't be a man. There should be a man in a suit and a call center deciding this person lives or dies. Yeah, it shouldn't. Go to America, James. Me, you, and Michael. We should all go and tell them why their healthcare system is so fundamentally shit. Ah, yeah. I'm sure we won't be kicked out. Why it's dreadful. Why one in three deaths in America are healthcare related and totally preventable. We could talk about that endlessly. The Merrison report is another good report, actually, because... Ah, uh, but hold on a minute. If this gets out to all the Conservatives in America, we're going to be hounded and they're going to make some response videos. Well, well not, <laughs> not because... Let them. My, 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 it's my, usually my, what my... happens, because if you offend them a little bit... Oh, my God. It's just like, come on, man. We're just... <laughs> now, healthcare my don't work. response to them would be... My, my response to them would be, we're just like, do you genuinely feel like you should be paying to get your... <laughs> to be... Just to, to be seen for a broken arm. Is that, do, do you generally feel like you, you should pay money to, if you have a stroke, do you generally feel like you should pay money if you have a heart attack? Do you genuinely think that these, that these are real things? That these are actual, uh, that, that this, this is a normal thing to have. Like you actually, you actually have to pay money because of stuff that's like, out of your control, such as, um, so, yeah. like, 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 it's, it's obviously, obviously it's lifestyles do contribute to heart attacks and so on. But I mean, once you get older and, and so on, you can't you can't really stop something from people from having a heart attack. So if you if you if you're an elderly like an eight year old citizen and you have a heart attack, I mean, if if if, if like the American uh, pharmaceutical company had their way, you'd have to the eight year olds just have to pay for all this. And they shouldn't like how the Republicans have tried to privatize Medicare so many times now. Yeah, and they say, well, you know, we should have freedom. People should pay for their own coverage. Health, and I'll use the Niren Bevin quote to summarise my view on healthcare. Illness is not some inappropriateness caused by the individual. It is a misfortunate incident that should be shared by the whole community. Yeah. The idea that someone, what is it? You know, the Republicans, when they say, you know, why we should have a universal healthcare system, they say, well, you'll ration the care. We already have, America already has rationed care. When poor people have, cannot go see their doctor that's ration care. When poor people cannot go to sit in a hospital bed because the insurance company won't cover them, that's rationed care. 
Don't get me started on ration care when it's free markets that are causing it. Free markets are good for so many things, but not on basic public health or welfare or defence, for that matter, to an extent. Now, of course, Mrs. Thatcher comes to power. The Labour government did the Merrison report, which again uh, allowed uh, to create an extra. The, actually, the Merrison was the Merrison report required six years of training before you became a doctor. Which, which, which is beneficial, I guess. I guess you went to the doctors now, obviously. But yes. again, they weren't compensated for having that. Years. I mean, three years in medical school. It's been six years in medical school. Still to this day now. No? Anyway, Mrs. Thatcher comes in power. And let's just ignore that. Ignore that. Ignore that. Yes, let's keep going. Keep going to the point where we want to talk about the one major reform. Was the Can I just part. say, I've, I've not had many questions put towards me this time round. Could I at least get a few? You know why, Michael? Because next week we're doing Republican nominees, and I think that is your expert. For oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's next week. That oh, is, we didn't have anything is, in between that. No, because uh, next Friday's Republican numbers. Because Democrats last week is Republicans next week. And we've always accepted that since British politics is James and mine's forte, American politics is mine and your forte, that when it's British politics, James should get a majority of the questions and we can have a good in back and forth. When it's American politics, me and you should have a majority of the back and forth. So that's because Republican politics next week, which you are an expert on more than I am to an extent, that'll be far more your centre. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's why it's not to be a dick. I'm not being a dick or anything. No, no, no. no, 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 no <laughs> Makes sense, but I would like a few questions. I mean, you know. Oh. All right, we'll talk. We're going to talk about the bloody Clark reforms yeah. health service in two seconds. Oh, oh yeah. All right, now let's let's go to this. Okay, so 1987, Mrs. Thatcher wins her third general election. Now I've watched some of her interviews in the campaign, uh, and I've tried heavily not to shout and be abusive, but I did not. I failed in that endeavor. She always referred to it as the British people are paying eleven hundred pounds a month. For the health service, they're paying this amount a month month for the health service. It's well known that in 1987 she wanted to privatize the national health service. She tried in 1980, she tried in 1982, she tried in 1985, and she's trying again in 1970 to privatize. And James, by privatize, I do not mean a German system. She wants. She said we must have tax breaks like the American insurance system does. God, she was a witch. So I have a question, Michael. Why is it, as you're an American uh, expert on the health and a lot of the issues, what is it about the current healthcare system that, that America refuses to repeal? They find so. Why is it that the current system for America is found so appealing that the yeah. British system in the States is not appealing? It's not America? even an issue of it being appealing. It's because as soon as they hear socialised medicine, they go, whoop. No thanks. Even though they know they want to pay health coverage. Yeah. I think, I think, and I then think, they'll say, I'm... oh, wait, no, you got to pay it through taxes. And I don't want to pay more taxes. And I'm like, bro, you, you don't pay that much in tax at all anyway. Who cares? I think, I think, I think, I think with America is that, is that if you put social in front of anything, they immediately think socialist. And they, co- I say, contribute that to communists. And then they just fought a war with communism for the past, for, for like, what? 50 years or something, 60 years, something like that, yeah. So, I mean, if you say, it's like, it's, it's, it's like going to, it's like going up to a British person and, and mentioning, mentioning World War II. I mean, we're not going to be very happy about it, are we? And imagine, imagine if somebody said to you, oh, this, this, this policy, this policy is the same thing that Nazi Germany imposed. You're not, you're not going to look favourable towards it, are you? And, and, and that's the same with America and uh, communism. They, they're not going to look fa- favourable 
to a wall towards a left wing uh, particular ideology even even though in the basics it's not really that left wing at all it's just it's just ethical i mean you know not 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 i mean be i mean being ethical on, on the fact that say people should have to pay for their health care isn't a left wing thing it's not it's, it's it's not out of this world that thing i mean there's been yeah. plenty of right wing people like insane insane right wing people who've always who have all agreed that 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 NHS is that the NHS is a great thing. You don't have to be left wing or communist or socialist to agree that the NHS is good. I challenge you again to find someone who thinks that the NHS is a burden to society because it's not. It's just so many beneficial things. And it's just it's just that the fact it's being so underfunded, it's being so it's being so let down by the government, being so let down by other people in the, in, in this country that people don't actually get the that people that actually see the full capability of the NHS, and I think, and I, and I think, and I think that's, I think that's why people, people in my course are so, are so, are so inclined not to change their, um, to, to change their healthcare system because they look at it, they look at the NHS and say, well, these waiting times like five weeks. Wait, I mean, with, 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 with my insurance, if I, if I wanted an operation, I found insurance, I could get it five days, and. And I don't, and I don't, and I think, I think it's just the waiting times that's an issue. I think, I think, I think, if we, if, I think if we can solve the waiting time issue. I think if we can solve all the bad publicity that the NHS gets. Obviously, there's always going to be bad publicity where anything, any, where anything goes. But I think if we can solve all of that, there isn't really a reason to why nobody should move across towards towards a system like ours, or a system like Germany, or a system like France, or a system like you, know, or like uh, uh, Spain. It doesn't, it, we're not. We're not asking. I'm not saying to the Americans immediately go straight to fully nationalised, no prescription charges, no no dental charges, no nothing. I'm just saying, work it in a bit. Try try the German system, and then and you think, oh, this is a good system. You go, you might go step five and go to our system. You see what I mean? I'm I'm not I'm I'm, I'm not trying to say to them, and I don't think and I don't think I don't think anybody tried to say to them that you need to immediately that you need to immediately change your thing. That is the closest someone's ever said to speaking. That's the closest a British politician has ever spoken out to NHS privatization. This is that since nineteen eighty eight. What what did you say? David Dimbleby asked her about does she basically want to privatize the NHS? This is in January nineteen eighty eight after the latest winter tragedy in the health service, and she this this key extract I want to take out here where she goes, if you're struck down by sudden disease, simply too expensive, there is healthcare available. Struck by disease or totally unexpected, there is health care available. Not free health care, health care available. That is very, very efficient. And one wishes if we can't provide enough people, people's expectations on the present system, the NHS, one has got to go to the people and say that there must be some different provision. Hmm. One of that provision will be we are considering all of these things. Asked about the possibility of insurance she says it is our bounden duty to do so this is the closest thing words an ink prime minister's ever spoken to and it's well known actually that because her health secretary john moore fell into a deep depression and had to resign uh obviously ken clark became the health secretary and ken clark of course did not believe in prioritizing i love that it's also about this because when john moore resigned as health secretary actually his Department of Health and Social Security, he told Ken Clark that basically we've got it all in plan now and the health service will be sold off by 1989, there'll be private insurance system. And Ken Clark said, what have you been drinking? 
and, and John goes, excuse me. And he goes, because that is mad. You cannot take away the health service. He goes, I don't agree with you at all. And he doesn't speak about how the American system's a complete flaw. And him and Mrs. Thatcher went 25 rounds uh, meetings on the issue of the health service. Now, obviously, they came up with um, patient provider, which was the system where you would provide money to GPs to allow them to buy their own equipment themselves. Yeah. Rather than the NHS buy it, the GP should buy his own, own equipment with NHS money. I mean, that's a good idea in my view. But if GPs get their own funds, GP fund holding is referred to as, providing its index to inflation, providing the National Health Service provide the cash, I think that was a good reform. Hmm. And yet, of course, okay. the, the Labour Party, of course, banged on about the Tories want to privatise the NHS. I mean, to be honest, that was the closest they ever got to it because that chap yeah. had a health secretary before Ken Clark, John Moore, who did want to privatise the health service, Nigel Lawson, a chancellor, who did want to privatise the health service, and Mrs. Thatcher, who tried four times before to privatise the health service. Yes. God, how that woman ever won three terms is beyond me. Move on to Mr. Major in the 90s. Oh, yeah, the yep. GP contracts, the inside health promotion. And it, oh, yeah, she, she did something. Oh, the social, the community care. Yes. The care in the community scheme. The, one of the funniest things ever done in history. That was so bad, it was abolished in 1992. It was the principle that people should have to pay for their own care or not receive it in social care homes. The care in the community. Or that people should go to a local care facility to be careful. Rather wait, than- wait, wait, Dad, Dad, what care in the community? Because there's care in the community, you wouldn't have to pay for it. Exactly. <laughs> ironic, that name, isn't it? That's community true. care. She <laughs> we don't care for you. That if we can't, if the state shouldn't provide, the community should raise the funds to finance health care. God, she's such a dimwit. Honestly, that's such an absurd thing. There is no care. How did you think, did you think that was a good idea? Making the public pay again for something that they've already paid for? Because she believed in the Reaganism ideology, because Reagan actually tried to do this with mental homes in 1986. Mm. Tried to abolish the need to fund uh, psychiatrists and allow communities and private providers to fund psychiatrists. So he did that. Obviously, human physician, no interest in that. Moving on, moving on. The white paper, no, moving on, moving on. No interest in that either. Ah, the patient's charter, yes. Oh, actually, the patient charter is interesting, actually, because that was the first time ever a waiting target had been set. In 1991, it was set that nobody should wait more than 100 weeks to go from the doctor to get an operation. Let me remind you, James and Michael, the average yeah. waiting time in the major government was 107 weeks. Uh, oh, uh, and, and, what, and what was the what was the target? Sorry, 100 weeks. 100 weeks. I mean, I mean, 100 weeks is two years. Yeah, <laughs> two years to get an operation. It's ridiculous. Two years. That's, that's, that's not a waiting time. That's, that's an age. It's a generation. It's a death sentence in some regards. The white paper... I can't, believe, I can't believe that 100 weeks is... What's the waiting time now? Do you know? It, it's set at 18 weeks, but the average waiting time is right now 37 weeks. I mean, when you compare it to 100 weeks, it's actually quite decent. But I mean, it's, it's, still, oh, it's still, still ridiculous. Let us refer you to the graph. Would you like to know what it was in the, and by 2010? Yes, I'd like to know what it was. Oh, six. Six weeks. Six. Wow. In most just, in just, urgent just... cases, it was two. 
So if you had, for example, you needed an urgent hip replacement, you could get it in 14 days in some cases. Oh my God. And then if you had cancer, you would be see there's a thing called the cancer guarantee where your GP would diagnose you and you would be seen within two weeks if you had cancer. Yeah. Now, of course, that's gone. And the average hip placement is now 18 weeks. And the Tories say, well, who cares? Well, let's bring, oh, let's see what happens. Horrible people. Oh, yeah, the horrible, I mean, not much here. Ackleson, oh, yeah, NHS Direct. 111, James. That's when this came, yeah. 1998, December, when you could call up and get a direct appointment. I mean, it's time like 2005 election where there were people who were complaining on question time, saying, I have to wait two days to see my GP. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were genuinely complaining about that. I imagine, imagine, imagine if somebody, imagine if somebody wants to question on time now and said, I have to complain, I, I complain yeah. about two days. Say, you get to see your GP in two days. days you lucky bugger. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> now it's three and a half weeks. Oh, it's like people say, well, uh, why can't the hospitals be more cleaner? MRSA, 3,000 deaths a year in 2005. Yes, it was 35,000 deaths a year in 1996. What's the issue here? Grow up. Uh, the Royal, Oh, yeah, the Royal Commission on Long-Term Care, that's an interesting one because this had laid the, fra the framework for the National Care Service. This considered three options. They were either wanted a private insurance system to finance social care, a complete government-run social care, or the mix of funding social care. The issue was they didn't go through it because the dean just have to raise tax to fund social care. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the great Tony Blair did not want to do that for some silly reason. Oh, yeah, the great Frank Dobson, great House Secretary Frank Dobson, uh, abolishes GP fund holding completely. Uh, says that we should have centralised health services, and this is Labour now. Actually, let's, go, let's zoom out a bit and show you what the spending is. 4.7%. One second. Hello. And, yep, bit below, it's about to go mental. New primary care groups are established. Oh, actually, for the sake of Thatcher, I'll show you what it was in 1980, in the 80s. It averaged, uh, it went down under Mrs. Thatcher. Health service spending started at 4.4% of GDP, and it finished at 4.5% of GDP, and it finished at 3.9% of GDP under Mrs. Thatcher's tenure. It stayed, it rose under Mr. Major actually, uh, yeah, to 4.8, it peaked at 4.8 in 94, then it was cut because of the recession. Then Labour interestingly did not hot increase spending, they just retained it. And this is an interesting part actually, because Labour established the primary care groups. Now, what did that allow? It finally allowed local hospitals to work with each other again. Tories were linked and primary care trusts, devolving hospital power. Now, most expensive breakfast is that what they called it fair play right i explain what this was into in the winter of 99 in the early 2000 britain had the worst flu pandemic to date in terms of the modern context there were two national health service beds left in the entire country at its peak that's how bad it got and the health service was literally underfunded so obviously tony blair had gone to gordon brown saying can we have two billion pounds just for this small time and gordon said go away we're not having this type of money we're gonna have long-term funding so for the first time ever tony blair goes on breakfast with frost david frost's program and says we're now going to meet the european average on health spending 
right? By 2007. That comes to a... I'm guessing, I'm guessing Gordon didn't know about that. Nope, Gordon didn't know about that. And <laughs> I'll tell you what Gordon's in a second. James, that means he's committed to over £100 billion pounds in new spending. And right. Gordon's, Gordon's the most expensive breakfast. <laughs> yeah, from 4.9 to 9.4. And Gordon storms into number 10 and screams, you've stolen my fucking budget! And walks off. <laughs> Anyway, so you have the ending. It's just ballistic. I mean, there's many instances like that of Gordon losing the plot. Anyway, uh, though we love Gordon, of course. Now, National Health Service planner Alan Milburn, the very interesting health secretary, and I say very interesting that I disagree with him immensely, but he's a Labour man, so I can't be too brutal about him, comes with a modernisation plan. Now, what was this? It allowed some of the free market principles in the health service, the principle that... For example, if your hospital has less beds, a private provider can provide you with beds. If your hospital has less GPs, a private provider can provide you with the GPs. If yours has less operating theatres, the private provider can provide you operating theatres. Right. Shaking our heads. Me, for the listeners, me and James are both shaking our heads in unison, and I can see Michael shaking his head. Oh, too. absolutely. It's we're all shaking, we all love new labour, and we're all shaking our heads together in despair. Because if you're putting the money in, why do you need private providers? What's the purpose? It's like, it's like well, it's to increase choice. You don't need choice in the health service. You just need to be treated. For God's sake. I mean, look, it did work initially, but the problem was you now allow that we created the, the door where the Tories can now go full mint on it. You know, in 2010, only 2% of the health service was privately controlled, and that was the hospital building program, which built us 157 new hospitals in 13 years mm. under the Labour government because of the PFI initiative. By the way, the Tories today have built 10 in 12 years. No, 157. Nope. No, no, they do have a year. They do have a year. They oh, they do have a year. That's true. That is true. They do have a year. Maybe they can build 140, 148 to go in the next 12 months. Fair play to them. But we, they built 10, we built 157. Uh, but they've now got 10% of the health service under private control. We had to. So we opened the door to them on that. Having said that, this plan did lead to waiting lists being slashed. In four years, the waiting list had gone down from 7 million to 3. Waiting times. I mean, let's go look at the graph. Yep, get that back up. Waiting list. Graph, huh? There's the time. 82 weeks. By 2004, it was 37. By 2008, it was 10 weeks for treatment on the National Health Service. Mm. That, by the way, is from the door of the GP to the door of the operating theatre. So when your GP says you're ill and when you actually get treated. 82 weeks, 10. So it, I suppose it worked in its little ways, but it was such a daft thing to do for Milburn. And actually, there's a plan actually where, um, where the Labour government would create these things called fa- well, they did create foundation hospitals, but they wanted them out of the NHS. This was Alan Milburn and Tony Blair's idea that you should allow hospitals to operate out of the National Health Service and start charging people. <laughs> An idea so dreadful. So dreadful that even the conservatives didn't back it. How dreadful does that even it was so bad that even Ian Duncan Smith, the Tory right wing leader who openly called for NHS privatization, 
said, we don't believe in that. Oh, I think we can end up there now, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Duncan Smith. There, there's someone I'd like to clearly shout at. I mean, oh yeah, there's a good one. Uh, Healthcare 99. What does that do? It we, The reason we now have annual assessment in hospitals, I'm doing this because I want the, the listeners to be informed and we'll have a long, we'll have a bit of a discussion. The principal hospital assessment, the, I mean, you know this, James, because your mum, you, you know, hospitals very well. Your mum works in there. And I wasn't a joke at your, you breaking your shoulder. That was not a joke. <laughs> the principal. Yes, I, I got that all the time now. I'm broken it. It's the principle that the hospital every year has to show results. Yeah. I think that was very good. Right, I'm going to yeah, move swiftly. Oh, by the way, uh, just to let's zoom out. That's the benefit of the health service investment. It's already gone up by 0.3%. Yeah. Uh, then you obviously have the star rating system, which led to foundation hospitals. Mm-hmm. Then you had the principal. Oh yeah, the principal and more staff. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, yeah, it's gone up by a whole one percent of GDP now in the space of three years. The principal. Right. When I was a young person, I had to use the health service very regularly, as you know, James. Yeah. Now, these are your time when you used to have one person who would uh, treat you, one person who would look at your, who would fill out the forms, and one person who would talk to you. Now, that one person does that person all three jobs. And I think the, the condition of health service staff is something so barbaric that we say, oh, overmanned in the health service. They're not. Sure. Think, they're oh, not overmanned, they're undermanned. They're undermanned, quite. You can't, they can't say, you know, what, uh, what exactly are they doing? Why don't you go and work in the health service, then say what they're doing? Oh, yeah, foundation hospitals barely pass. Barely pass. Everyone says the Iraq was the biggest rebellion. It was the biggest rebellion. But in domestic terms, 131 Labour MPs voted against Tony Blair's plan for foundation hospitals. Because even everyone, even I, as Blairite, acknowledged that the idea you can allow hospitals to run deficits and potentially go bankrupt isn't a very bright idea. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, an idea. It's doubted. But it's not even a bright idea. It's not even an idea. It's, it's ridiculous. It's daft. Then, of course, you have foundation trust being established. You have the yeah. reports on pick commission. Oh, actually, this is an interesting report. Commission, the commission on the health service. Because what that does is that actually creates the staff we had before 2010. The principle that if you go to therapy, for example, you should have two people there, not one person there. The principle that there should be two, three people administrators, not just one administrator. That there should be three people in one ward, not one person in one ward. So therefore, if you have more people, therefore you're taking pressure off the main staff and you're improving their quality of life and therefore more, far more likely to care for the patient. Yeah. Obviously, the white health, yes, that was another good one because that allowed electability in hospitals. Finally, local residents could sit on a local hospital board. Obviously, Mr. Andrew Lansley here abolished that when he became health secretary for David Cameron. I never even read the Andrew Lansley thing for 2007. I don't even want to read. I'm going to be too cross. Move on, move on. Oh, yeah, banning on smoking in public places. Look at the figure, James. Yeah. 6.5% of GDP now. Double was not 7.6%. Yep, that was when St. Gordon took over and said, bugger, what do you mean only 6.5%? No, it's going to be 7 And actually, the best part about Gordon was he raised that whilst this country was in a recession. Yeah. This was the 2009 global financial crisis. Then, of course, you had David Nicholson, 
who wrote the Nicholson report, the need for 15 billion pounds of cuts in the health service. But after they just received 120 billion in increases, I think they could have found a few efficiencies. Not many, though. Mm. Oh, yeah, the Mid-Staffordshire. Oh, God, Mid-Staffs. Have you heard about Mid-Staffs, James? Mid-Staffs Hospital? James? Oh, he's frozen. 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 James, you're about Midstaff Hospital. No, I haven't now. Michael, you're about Midstaff Hospital? Um did say again. I'm about to get I'm about to go off uh, my Yeah, screen. yeah. Uh, are you about Midstaff Hospital? No, I haven't, not really. Like, it was one of the few hospitals that were a bit of a screw up under the last Labour government where we had patients drinking out of rosewater jars because there wasn't was of incompetent management hospital. And Cameron News had going to in 2015. To them, I'd say that was a privately run hospital. What's your point? <laughs> I mean, the National Health Service, and let's just look at the record under New Labour. 80,000 more nurses, 44,000 more doctors, 23,000 more GPs, a massive increase in satisfactory. 1997, only 43% of people approved of the health service at the present second. Do you know what it was by 2010, James? Uh, I don't know. 91. <laughs> 91. It was so good that even the Daily Mail in 2010 had to write, there have been quite obvious improvements in the National Health Service that nobody seeks to undermine. Well, that, that, that's, that's the closest the Daily has ever been to the left wing. <laughs> exactly. The closest ever been. I mean, it's like when Tucker Carlson said, I don't want to be a leftist, but it's true. He didn't want to appear compassionate, but it's true, though. It's the left. I mean, but then obviously Cameron came in and basically tried to privatise it again tried to put charges in for prescriptions, charges in for hospitals, charges for everything. He wanted to, after 2015, it was well known that Cameron wanted to make you pay to see your GP. And I think when you talk about the health service, and we're going to summarise in seven minutes' time, but when we talk, because I made, I made the first 40 minutes of discussion, the second point is informative, and the final 15 minutes is just going to be a generalised closing discussion for this week. I think that's the interesting format. I think if you look at the health service to other countries in the world, I know South Wales, I think Germany was a good country for healthcare. And I still believe that's because, because I love the Germans. I think they, they elect sensible leaders, left and right, Gerhard Schroeder, you know, Angela, Helmut Kohl, Helmut Schmidt, uh, Angela, Gerhard Schroeder, Angela Merkel, Olaf Schultz. Everyone loves them. And they're from five different They're from different parties. CDU, CSU, SPD. Anyway. But honestly, is there any other system you can think of that's the alternative to the NHS? Because apart from Germany, I cannot... Even Germany's got its flaws, actually, but I can't think of any. I, I don't think even the Germany is an alternative to the NHS because I think the NHS is so good, the system as it is now. I don't think there is a system that could rival it. As to the problem. Do you not think that the fact that we have people waiting and dying on hospital trolleys is a problem? Well, that's, that's, that's not an issue with the NHS. That's an issue with the funding. Oh, it's an issue with reform as well. The fact that you pointed out earlier, James, that so many people go to A and E when, like, you know, yeah, well, true, true, but I, yeah, well, exactly. Well, it's called that's funding and reform at the same time. Yeah, well, yeah, well, funding and reform. I think, I think, I think, I think what needs to happen is that any government needs to have a, just just need to have a series of looks at what the NHS is doing 
where, where it's failing, where, where it needs more funding, and, and where and, and, and where it's absolutely shining out. I, I mean, you can you can you can see right now the COVID response for the NHS was absolutely sublime. Uh-oh. I, yeah, I don't think anyone could fault it at all. No, nope. and I think and I think and I think, but I think when, when it comes to mental health, there's clear there's clear flaws in there. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think you'll social be care? stupid. Uh, uh, sorry, so 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 social care, care as well. Yeah, yeah, nursing homes, all of that, all all, all that stuff like that. I'd say the health service. I think the investments required. I think you've got to you've got to link international insurance contributions, provide efficiency to the Department of Health to get health service money up by twelve billion a year for the next five years at least. Yeah, I think I think I think the GDP share. Once by the investment, you've got to then say there must be nothing in the health service that is charge worthy. You cannot charge for mental care. You cannot charge for prescriptions, for drugs, for eye and dental care, mm-hmm. hospital car parking, for anything. If you want no. to go to a care home, you should be able to have it for free. If you want to be yeah. cared for at your home, that's residential fees for free. We should raise the carers allowance to the minimum wage. I think, you know, mm-hmm. these are some of the many solutions I've come up with, you know, and you come up with the health service. That's so important that, that ultimately you look at the health service. Nobody is against free health care, right? If you are against free health care for people, I refer you to no, my the, 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 the thing is, there isn't anybody. I, I don't think I don't think there is actually anybody who's genuinely against free healthcare. No, I don't. Think, I don't. I, I I even think the top pharmaceutical bosses aren't against free healthcare. I generally don't think they can say to they can well, say they to a twenty year old man with a stroke deserves to die and has to pay money towards it. I don't think oh. anybody can tell you that. Best case, James. There was a case in uh, Michigan a couple years back mm-hmm. where a woman got cancer when she was twenty six. Yeah. Between operations. And the insurance can run you up and say, We're not covering you because the age of 26, you should not be getting cancer. <laughs> How do you know that you're scientific? Do you work in a hospital and you're thick? It's like they oh just they say the insurance company goes, We look at data models. Do you know what I mean? Just do yeah. what I think the, I think the insurance health insurance firms are the only people I believe who do not believe in free health care. Because that industry well, that, that's making a profit. So much the better. Mm. I'm not going to boop or any private health firm. I'm going to count these private health care providers as people, though. So that's the question. Oh, what? So we have to do like a Jimmy Carter and say, <laughs> seek Jesus <laughs> in your heart and understand the meaning of <laughs> compassion. Is that what we're going to do? <laughs> I, think, I think that's what we need to do, though, yeah. Michael, what do you think about it? Do you think James Sentiment is right that nobody can be against, really be against the system of private health care, uh, sorry, public health care? Nobody can be in favour of dismantling the NHS that everyone believes in universal and free to point of use health care. Well, I'm afraid there are people that believe in that and I don't even know why. I just can't, you know, comprehend why. It just, you know, whenever I hear that, my brain just, I don't even know, something happens and it just, it's just bad. I'd argue that it turns green, gets really big, and starts smashing up cities, Michael. When <laughs> Dude, smash. Well, I'd argue Mrs. Thatcher believed in private health care. I'd argue mm. she got very close. She wanted private health care in this country. But I think, I think, I think now no politician will ever say that they want private health care because they know after COVID it's political suicide. Well, the, the government's health and social care bill will ensure private health care. But, 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 but they won't say it is. They will never say it is. Like, oh, Margaret Thatcher went out and opened... She didn't open it, but you know what I mean? She implied it. It's very clear. I don't think any... 
I, I, I don't think any government will do that now because they'll never they will be they'll be kicked out of office faster than they can say NHS. <laughs> they wouldn't. Do you think it's the issue in a way with voting in that, for example, why will no government ever cut the state pension? Okay, because they know if they cut the state pension, pensioners will get out there and vote and boot them out very quickly. Mm. For young people, they cut the housing benefit, they cut job training, they cut education funding, they abolish the EMA, they abolish maintenance grants, and mm. they dismantle youth centres. And they say, well, they're not going to vote. We do, but do we care if they don't vote for us? That, that's why you need to vote. Yeah, voting Labour, of course, naturally. No, 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 obviously, obviously. No bias in the podcast, but absolutely Labour. I don't mind Tories listening to this podcast as long as you're willing to see the light. As long as you see the yeah. light. This will be a domestic. I mean, we don't. I, I don't mind Tories listening to the podcast as long as they vote Labour. Yeah, of course, of course. My, some of my best friends <laughs> are Conservatives, though they turned Labour at the end. Uh, Actually, I've got a friend who's a Conservative, yeah. Is it Michael? Oh, don't you, you know? dare. Don't you. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we'll be doing the Republicans, so that'll be very interesting to look at how that once great party. Oh. How is the I mean, Archie, you know what? We've got five minutes, so I'll ask, I'll ask this question for us all to consider next week about the Republicans. Michael, I'll ask you this in prelude to next week. How is the party of William F. Buckley, George Will, Irving Crystal, Antonin Scalia? fine conservative intellectual minds become the party where ignorance and stupid people are now celebrated. Because I believe personally, if you have not been a state senator, you cannot serve in the United States Senate. If you have not been a US congressman, you should not be in the Senate. If you've not been a governor or a US senator, you should not be running for president. You should have experience. And when you get to a point now where politicians have to be told that Africa is a continent, not a country, they, they have to be told that, James. We have politicians. <laughs> no politics. US politicians in America, what uh, social yeah. security? They say, don't know, some liberal communist nonsense. You know, you know, you know, you, you know, you, you know Sarah Palin, she, 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 she yes. got asked a question. She, 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 she got asked a question on, um, about, about some missile launchings that North Korea did uh, as defence. As defense terms, and she said, and I quote, Well, obviously, we have to stand with our North Korean allies. <laughs> and the interview went, Do you mean South Korean? He said, uh, Yeah, sure. Oh my gosh, he's so. F- I forgot how thick Sarah Palin was now. Thank you for reminding me. And, yeah. and, and, and the chief and the chief Republican and the chief Republican in Alaska, the, the head of the GOP in Alaska, said, said uh, and so, yeah, what's, what's Sarah Palin's quality to be VP and vice president? And he said, Well, she's. I, uh, she's a uh, she's a Republican, and she's the right age. Don't even Michael right there. The Republican Party, in probably to next week next week conversation, has the party of fine intellectual minds like William F. Buckley, George Irving Crystal, George Will, Anthony Scalia, has now become a party who cannot even answer the most basic questions about politics. Yeah, well, they can't even answer the basic question about geography, Dad. <laughs> yeah, geography or life. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? What do you think? Can you say the question a little bit simpler because that kind of went a bit. Uh, how is the party? How is a party full of smart intellectual people become a party of complete thickheads? It's because when you start letting in those populists who say some shocker ideas that 
never mind if they're good or bad. It's just the fact that they're shockers, you know, something radical. There you go. Um, people are going to be like, oh, yeah. And as soon as you, like, make a boogeyman, that's another thing as well. It's like, I don't know how that transition happened other than knowing that there are people Michael. that will just go out and say stuff. I can tell you when it happened. Well, you, I know when it happened, but I'm no, talking about like... No, it happened earlier before. It happened before Sarah Palin. It yeah, I know it happened before Sarah Palin. Palin. I'm talking oh, about like how. What do you mean? Well, oh, actually, I think I can tell you how now. We'll, and we'll summarise this, but I'll tell you how. When people stop accepting career politicians, that's when we're down a slippery slope, right? Mm. Look at 1976 vice presidential candidatures. It was Walter Mondale and Bob Dole. Bob Dole, moderate conservative, been in the Senate for years, universally respected by virtually everybody. Everybody respects Bob Dole. Walter Mondale, liberal, Hubert Humphrey soulmate, respected by everybody because they got deals done, right? Yeah. James Baker, conservative to moderate, got deals done. Now, what's the difference there? People now want politicians, they believe that outsiders are more like them. Now, I'll finish on this note. Do we demand doctors are like us? Do we demand teachers are like us? That lawyers are like us? No. So why do we demand that politicians should be like us? It's not the role of politicians to be movie stars. It's their role to be making laws. It's why I think, and I'll finish on this idea, that every politician should pass at least a certain number of laws. Otherwise, they should have no right to seek re-election or at least initiate a certain number of laws. Because if they cannot understand politics, why are they in the industry? Politics is for experience. And the Republican Party now, a party which does not talk about Medicare, Medicaid, social security, educational housing, but talks about a theory that doesn't exist, an insurrection that we all saw before our very eyes, and and just runs around stoking division between the right and the far right is going to get crushed. Now, it has been one hour and 32 minutes. We've kept yes. this in a very good time frame this week. I hope we can do it next week, especially when we do uh, next week. I think we'll just do, do you want to, we'll do, we'll decide if we'll do the Republican winners. So that being uh, since 45, that'll be Eisenhower, Nixon, uh, Ray, Ford, we'll do Ford because he came president. Ford, Reagan, Bush, Bush, uh, Trump. That's it. We might add on people like McCain, Romney, and um, and you know Bush, although I'm Bob Dole, maybe. But we'll do the Republican winners next week and discuss them, like we did with the Democrats last week. All right, thank you, people. That was great. That was a great episode. See of you, you. once. See you, lads. Take care. See you. Bye.